If you got your program, inside your program, there's an outline of our Bible study today. I'd encourage you to take that and follow with us. We began uh, last Sunday uh, a two-week series on the book of Jude. Now, in the New Testament, there are four books that have only one chapter. And probably you can name those. There's 2 John, 3 John, Jude, and Philemon. And I call these God's postcards. Now, maybe you get a postcard, and usually it is a reminder of something that's happening or something that's going on. And Jude, as he gives us his postcard, wants to tell us some things that he wants us to know and that God wants us to be aware of. As we began the book of Jude in verses 1 through 11, Jude began by saying, I want to tell you who I am. And although he was the half-brother of Jesus, he called himself the servant of Jesus. There is no greater honor you have in life than being able to be the servant of Jesus Christ. And then he said that what he wanted to do was to write about their salvation. And I think he was kind of pumped up to tell them about what a wonderful thing it is to know that they are a child of God and are saved and are going to heaven. But he said, I was motivated to write something else. And I think that motivation came from the Holy Spirit, which we call inspiration. And he said, I want you to know about the faith that was once for all delivered unto the saints. That is, the faith was the teachings of the Word of God. And he said, they were given once for all. So we're not in need of a later revelation or another book other than the Bible so that we can know what it is that God wants us to know. And he said, I want to warn you, though, about some men. He said, these men are maliciously using the grace of God. That is, they're involved in immoral things, and they say, well, don't worry, the grace of God will cover us. And Jude says, I want to tell you, that's not what the grace of God is for. All of us are in need of God's grace to be saved, but we do not need to think that God does not care how it is we live and abuse the marvelous grace of God. What a sad thing that there were some who had come in the church and they were acting that way. All right, now, if you have a Bible, we're going to pick up today, first of all, in Jude, verses 12 and 13. And here Jude gives us this message. These people, that is those who are trying to use the grace of God to cover an immoral lifestyle, these people are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, Forming up on their shame, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved. He said, first of all, these fellows are blemishes on your love feasts. Now, the love feasts were something that was practiced evidently in just about all the early church. That is, people would bring together a meal. And they would have a meal as they came together, and they call these the love feast. The only bad thing was they got the love feast intertwined with the Lord's Supper, and they got the whole thing all mixed up. 
Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 and following, Paul talks about that, and he says, It is not the Lord's Supper you're eating. You have just kind of made this meal one so that it is mixed up. And as you have come together, you come together early. And those that have a lot, they share it. And then some come in and they don't have anything. And they're left without anything. What a sad thing it is. He says, don't you have houses to eat and drink in? If you're going to mess up the whole worship by that, don't be involved in that. And he said, these men, evidently, those who are the immoral lifestyle, they were leading the love swan. And the point that he wanted to make is, you've allowed people to come in and corrupt your worship and corrupt what it is that God wanted you to do. You have these men as blemishes or marks upon your love feast. And rather than it being a love feast, it's become something that is downright disgusting to God. Because he said, when you partake of the Lord's Supper, you need to be thinking about what happened when Jesus Christ died on the cross. And if you don't observe the Lord's Supper in the right way, he said, you are bringing damnation to your own self. So you be careful how you partake of the Lord's Supper, and don't let these men ruin it who have come in and have spoiled your love feast and the way that you partake of the Lord's Supper. Number two, follow with me, if you will, then, in verses 14 through 16, when he gives us this message. Enoch, who was the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of His holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage." He said, first of all, I want to tell you about Enoch. Now, you may remember Enoch. He was one of the two men in the Bible who did not die. He was the man, the Bible said, that he walked with God, and God took him, and he did not die. Well, evidently, Enoch had written a book. Evidently, it was not an inspired book. It was not in the Bible. But what it had was truth in it. And so he said, Enoch warned you about these men who were coming. And I want you to remember what kind of men he said they were. They were men who were grumblers and fault finders. Let me talk to you just a minute about that. A man who is a grumbler is one who is a complainer and a griper and one who argues. Now, inside the church... That is a terrible thing to have. Grumblers and fault finders. Now that goes all the way back into the Old Testament. Back in the book of Exodus chapter 15 verse 24, the Bible says, So the people grumbled against Moses. Now if you go back and read that passage back in Exodus 15, you will find that that was only three days after they had crossed the Red Sea. They had seen Moses hold forth his staff and the sea divided and God let them come through on dry land and escape the Egyptian army that was pursuing them. But what did they do? After only three days, 
they started griping and grumbling and complaining against Moses. They said, what are we going to drink? Where's our water? And all they could think about was themselves, and they grumbled against Moses. Now, the second passage I want you to note there is Numbers 14, 26 and following. The Bible says, God said, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? He said, these are wicked people who are grumbling against me. They're even complaining about what God did or what God did not do for them. And they were grumblers and they were fault finders. What a terrible thing it is when people are grumblers. Did you know that grumbling is a sin? If you want to take your Bible, look back in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, and you find that grumbling is listed there alongside of immorality and idolatry as being sins that God punishes. And another one of those sins is grumbling. People who are complainers, gripers, arguers about what's going on. You see, when people grumble in the church, it destroys the unity of the church. And as it destroys the unity of the church, ultimately it destroys the individuals who are in the church. Several years ago, about a hundred miles from Amarillo, there was a new church that was planted in a small town. And uh, the people in the small town were excited about this new church that was going to be starting in their town. But on the very first Sunday, after the first service was over, as people were gathering outside the building were talking, two of the elders got into a fight, and one of the elders flattened one of the other elders. Now, can you imagine what the uh, talk was in all the coffee shops during the next few days and few months that followed about the fight that went on in church? Fortunately, after about two years of constant bickering and fighting and arguing and grumbling, the church miraculously closed. You know, God does not want His people as arguers griping, complaining about everything. You know, the bad thing about grumbling is that it is always contagious. Have you ever seen uh, two dogs get in a fight, and one dog get on top of the other one, and it was biting him, and some other dogs come on the scene? Do you think any of the dogs would jump in and help the dog that's getting beat up? Absolutely not. What do they do? They jump in, and they start getting a bite of him, too. And, and people are that way. When somebody begins griping or complaining about something, then other people, they express their gripe and their complaint, maybe if they hadn't even thought about it. Contagious griping is that which can ruin the church. And as Jude talks about these people, he said they are grumblers and fault finders. And these two go together. Somebody who grumbles and somebody who is a fault finder. Over in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 14, the Bible says, And do everything without grumbling or arguing. Now, does that mean that you like the way everything goes on? Does that mean all the decisions you like are the way you would have made them? Absolutely not. But I tell you, 
when we become grumblers and fault finders, we're doing the very things that Jude said these men are doing that are going to destroy the church. You and I need to realize how important it is that we have an attitude not of a grumbler, but of an encourager and a blesser and somebody who is behind others who are in the need of somebody to give them a pat on the back and give them some encouragement and be that kind of a person rather than a fault finder or a grumbler. So Paul said, do everything without grumbling or arguing. And let me encourage you to know that that's the way God wants us to live. And if we're to make progress as a church, we can't have grumblers and fault finders, even though you may not agree with everything that is done and the way that it is done. Well, pick up then, if you will, with me in verse 17 and read down through verse 23. And listen to the next message Jude has for us. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are people who divide you, who are following mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. He said, first of all, I want you to remember, don't forget what it is that the apostles warned you about earlier. And that is that there's going to be people who come in who are troublemakers. There's going to be people who are complainers and gripers. There are going to be people who try to corrupt the grace of God. I want you to remember that the apostles warned you about that. And then he said this, these are people who divide you. As you know, that's what Satan likes more than anything else. He likes to see the people of God divided and fussing against one another. And he said, I want to warn you about this because even the apostles tried to warn you about what was going to come, that there were going to be people who would try to divide you. But you, he said, you build yourself up. I want you to be people who know that you need to strengthen yourself in the most holy faith. Now, how do you build yourself up? Well, you know how you build yourself up physically. You watch what you eat, you exercise, and you do those things that are going to make you stronger. He said, now what I want you to do is, I want you to build yourself up in the faith. I want you to do those things that are going to make you stronger. The things are going to make you better able to resist those who come in and they teach false doctrines. You are one who need to build yourself up in the most holy faith. And then he said this, I want you to be praying in the Holy Spirit. Now what in the world would that mean? I want you to be praying in the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you to turn back in your Bible to the uh, third chapter of the book of Ephesians. And beginning in the chapter 3 
at verse 16, Paul wrote these words to the church in Ephesus. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. He said, I want you to know that God's Spirit is in you. And I want you to rely on that. And I want you to pray knowing that God will give you strength in your inner being. That is, you're going to be able to build yourself up. And you're going to be able to have power as you pray in the Spirit of our Lord. And then he says, I want you to know this. I want you to know the love of God. It is so great. It is something that you need to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And when you really get a hold of that, then it's going to be something that's going to build you up and you're going to be stronger as you serve God. Now, the Spirit of God is going to be guiding you or helping you. And you and I need to realize that the Spirit of God lives within us and that He wants to help us grow stronger in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And He said, I want to tell you this. You know that the Lord Jesus is going to come and He's going to bring you eternal life. Now, is that not what we're after? Eternal life? Now, do you know what a word uh, alabosis is? you know that word? Alabosis is a word that uh, is kind of strange. It describes somebody who is on the verge of death, and they've made arrangements that as soon as they die, they're going to be put into a freezer and frozen solid. Now, the idea is, somewhere along the line, somebody's going to come up with a way to discover how to bring you back to life. And so you'll just remain in that freezer, frozen, until somebody comes along and makes that uh, discovery, so you're going to be brought back to life. Somebody thought, you know, that's uh, about the best we can do here with people who do not believe in the Lord. Because you see, if you believe in the Lord, you're not wanting to be frozen, but you're wanting for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ so that you're going to be able to have eternal life. Somebody said, uh, you know what they would call your dad if he was frozen? He'd be a popsicle. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. But some people had not understood the blessings of eternal life that God's going to give us. But he said there are going to be people that you read about who are doubters. He said, I want you to be merciful to them. That They are people that have not yet grasped the whole of God and who He is and what He can do. And he said, and there are other people, he said, I want you to save them by snatching them from the fire. Now, what fire was he talking about? A parallel chapter to the book of Jude is Second Peter chapter 2. And Peter talks about the angels who sinned, who were cast into the fires of hell. And I think what Jude is saying is, I want you to be one that helps people who are headed to hell. And you know there are probably people around you that you love that are headed to hell. 
And Jude said, God wants you to snatch them. He wants you to reach out and help them so that they don't end up there. And God's depending upon you. And the reason we have these bracelets is for people to know about the salvation that comes in Jesus. And He's called upon us to snatch them from the fire, to keep them from ending up where you and I do not want to end up. And finally, he concludes, Jude, in these two verses, 24 and 25, "...to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling..." and to present you before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forever. Amen. He said the Lord's able to keep you from stumbling. He's able to give you the strength so that you're going to be able to make it and what a glorious thing that will be. This last week, one of our precious men, Eldon Barry, passed away. 85 years old, and had been a faithful Christian all his life. But before he died, a couple years ago, Eldon started writing his life story. And uh, before the funeral, the family gave me a copy of it, and I got to read and find out all about his background and everything, and it was really interesting. Eldon was raised up in the church and was always a strong Christian. His wife, Bonnie, was raised in Wheeler, and she was not raised up in the church, but she moved to Amarillo to go to Drawn's Drawn's, uh, Business College and to find a man. She said she never had any boyfriends in high school, and they always teased her about being fat. But uh, she came to Amarillo with high hopes of being able to find her a man. She uh, was about ready to graduate from school, and she still hadn't found a guy. And one of her friends said, Now, Bonnie, don't worry about it. Somewhere there's an Ichabod crane that will see you and will love you no matter how fat you are. And it was two weeks later, she had a blind date with Eldon. And uh, that was an exciting time because she liked him and he liked her. And a couple weeks later, they had another date and he said, Are you about ready for me to get a ring to put on your finger? And she said, Well, I'll think about it. And she thought about it, and the next time they had a date, she said, let's show up down at Zales about 9 o'clock on Saturday morning. Get that ring. And she did. Eldon described why he wanted to marry Bonnie, and he said this, I have been looking for somebody who's going to help me go to heaven. And he said, I met Bonnie. And she was a new Christian, but she was healthy, and she was very pretty, and she'll help me go to heaven. And they got married. After 62 years and nine months, Elvin got to go where he wanted to go, and that is to be with the precious Lord Jesus Christ forever. You know, the best thing you can do for your mate 
is to help them go to heaven. And if you're doing what God wants you to do, then you're going to be that kind of an encourager to help your mate go to heaven and your grandchildren go to heaven and those brothers and sisters who are in the family of God go to heaven. You see, we have a, a great future because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jude said, In Him there is glory and majesty and power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord. And what a wonderful thing it is to know that you're a child of God and that you're looking forward to having eternal life with our Lord Jesus Christ and all the saints of God in heaven. Those around you who are not saved, reach out to them. Snatch them from the fire because God has given us that role so that we can be His children and His firemen who help others find the way to heaven through our Lord. Would you pray with me? Dear Father, we're thankful for this little postcard that Jude wrote. And to know, dear Father, that you are wanting us to be people who love each other and get along with one another and help others, dear Father, go to heaven. Dear Father, thank you so much for our wonderful Savior, Jesus. We pray you'll bless us as we serve him every day of our life. In Jesus' holy name, amen. We're going to sing a song of invitation this morning. Maybe there's a way we could be of encouragement to you. Maybe you'd like to come and say, you know, I'd like to be a part of this family. And if that's your desire, we would certainly welcome you. Maybe you'd like to come today and confess your faith and be baptized into Christ. Or if there's any other way we could help you, I'll be at the front and our elders will be at the back. And we can serve you anyway. If you'd like to come, why don't you do it right now? We just stand and sing our song of invitation together. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the Far and grace will.